Great to be back here. Uh, listen, if you're visiting for the first time, um, the, the pastor, uh, Alex Shipman, um, you need to come back. You need to hear him. Um, he is one of my favorite people in the world. He's a, he's a friend, and he's one of those guys that, seriously, I want to be him. I know I'm breaking about, I don't know how many commandments by wanting to do that, but, I mean, he is uh, one of my favorite people, uh, and not just because he's in shape. Uh, <laughs> I mean, We've lost half of Alex somewhere along the way, but um, seriously, you need to, if you're busy, it's your first time here, please come back uh, next week, um, and just to hear Alex, certainly, but to get to know these folks even better, and uh, it's always fun to be here. I'm just so grateful. Thanks for having me again. Uh, the sermon this morning, um, it's from uh, Mark chapter 4, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and start turning there. Uh, the, the title of it is Preoccupied Territory. Uh, this being September 1st, uh, this is sort of, I'm going on the one-month anniversary, one-year anniversary of uh, being laid off from my job. Uh, I was on staff at Southwood Presbyterian Church, and uh, they went through a lot of changes, and um, they laid off a portion of the staff, and I got laid off. And, um, yeah, that put us in a place where my wife and I, um, over the past year, uh, especially early on, just wondering like if God even knew what he was doing. Um, because I didn't think I would be here at this moment in my life, at the age and stage of life that I'm at. And uh, um, I never really thought that this is exactly what would be going on. And um, we've been learning a lot uh, about how to trust God moment by moment to not project out too far, but just moment by moment trusting him and to walk. And just it's this idea of putting just one step down at a time. And uh, it's been a, still, still we're going through just learning, like we're trying to understand what God's doing. And uh, during that time, um, just in one of my quiet times, God has really impressed upon me a few things. And I was in Mark chapter 4, and so here's what I learned. And I, I'm still learning it, by the way. And uh, so what we'll do here is I'll read from uh, Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. And uh, it's a familiar, maybe a familiar parable to you. And um, he showed me something sort of right in the middle of it, and I hope to give it away to you this morning. Uh, I'm still trying to give it away to myself, so I need to hear this too. So let's hear uh, from God's written word. It's in Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 1 all the way through verse 20. Hear now the written word of God. Again, he began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path. And the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seed fell onto good soil, and it produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And 
And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that, and he quotes from Isaiah 6, they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? <clears throat> the, the sower sows the word. And those are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. This is the written word of God. Let's pray. Father, go before me, level the mountains, fill the valleys, make this crooked person me. Make the words that are crooked, make them straight. Make the path straight for us that will lead to the foot of the cross that we would look up and to see the face of Jesus, to see what he has done for us, to see his goodness, his love, his mercy, his joy. Uh, Lord, uh, we want his wisdom this morning. We want to see Jesus high and lifted up, Father. Do that. Do that now among us. Fill us with your spirit. In Christ's name, amen. All right, hey, I want to ask you, here's a basic question for you. I mean, do you like to be with other people in a crowd? Um, uh, maybe at a party or a Wednesday night, you know, uh, potluck or just being together. And uh, probably in the room, we've got some people that don't quite like that. It's hard for you uh, to be with other folks because you're an introvert. And then there are extroverts, kind of like me, maybe, that we like to be with the crowd. We can sort of be energized by it. Uh, there are still some things, though, when I'm with a crowd of people I struggle with. And there's, there's two things. Uh, I'm horrible with names. I am so, I'm terrible with names. I love the name tags. I mean, I'm just, I live for name tags. I'm terrible with names, um, and I don't like small talk. Now, here's how I've solved <clears throat> both of those. Um, and they're cheats. I mean, I, <laughs> I'm still horrible with names. But I learned this from a comedian, and it's really sort of tongue-in-cheek, and if you do it, great. If you don't, it's all right. But I do this with another baseball coach uh, that I coach with, because we don't remember each other's names, and we do this. But here's what a comedian taught me. Um, next time you're at a party or a gathering, and someone comes up to you, and, and you say, you, you know, you introduce them, or they, you, they say, what, you, you ask them what their name is. And they say, you know, Fred. And you go, hey, that's my name. That's how you respond to them. Because next time you see them, you go, what's my name? They go, Fred. Yeah, yes, Fred, that's right. Well, that doesn't work if you're a girl, you know, I mean, all that sort of stuff. <laughs> See, it works. Just, uh, just uh, and again, I do that with another coach. His name's Joe. I finally remember his name. But I, we'd always see each other when we played Joe. i go, what's my name? And he would go, Joe. So, <laughs> so I've solved the name problem. Now, the next thing is really um, a small talk. Right? It's about the weather, now that football, you know, everybody's talking about football. It's just a small talk. But I really want to go deep with people. And that's usually a turn off anyways. And so it's sort of a win-win 
if you want to go deep with somebody, because you start asking the deep questions, they'll go away, because they don't want to. Or if they do respond, you've, you've got some real deep conversation going on. And so uh, one of the questions that a lot of people ask, and when I didn't have a job, I was a tough question to answer. When people would say, well, what do you do? Right? That's one of the questions they ask. Well, what do you do? Um, and not all, you know, we don't all have jobs. I mean, what, that's a tough question, but it's usually about the weather and that sort of thing. But what I'll ask people, uh, if you want to sort of chase them away, um, you know, ask them rather than what's your occupation, which is essentially when people say, what do you do? I mean, if you want to go deep with somebody, ask them this. What's your preoccupation? Now, here's the win-win, okay? They'll either stay and talk to you or they'll go away. <laughs> you know, so no more small talk. But ask somebody, what's your preoccupation? You know, what, what has your heart right now? What are the things that you're just preoccupied? What, is, what you know, the things that you're concerned about? You know, the things that are just weighing on your mind? And... Um, because we usually, when things are weighing on our minds, we don't engage with other people. We really, we really don't connect. See, I do that with my wife a lot of times. I think it's because, you know, with DVRs or DVDs or anything that has recorded, right? If you see something, you go, you can pause it, you know, with a DVD. You can rewind it and say, oh, I missed that. And you can sort of watch it again. And I'll do that with the conversation. And I'll be, you know, sort of half listening to my wife. And I'll think, well, she just said something important. And I can't rewind it, you know? And you feel like a jerk. You, but... I do that with people and, and situations because when I'm preoccupied, I'm thinking about something else, uh, something going on that I, I need to do, a bill that's due, or a, a, you know, something that's going on in my life. I'm thinking about other things. I'm preoccupied, and so I don't engage right there in the moment with someone I love. Have you ever done that? You're just half paying attention? And the truth is you can't rewind. You can't rewind life. You can't go back to some time and try to make that time fruitful with relationships or people. And so here we are in a, in a world where it's tough. You've got stuff coming at us all the time. We're preoccupied. And when we are, we don't engage well with people. So our relationships suffer. When we're preoccupied, um, we don't see Jesus either. There are so many things that just start to get crowded out. And we can't rewind. We can't pause. We can't go make fruit happen. You see, when you hold on to a grudge a long time, we get preoccupied with something that somebody's done to us. Something, you just hold on to it. And you miss the opportunities because you don't want to forgive. And you just, all that stuff. And you can't rewind. You just can't do it. And so what do we do when we want to see fruit in our lives. We don't want to be so preoccupied with the things that are going on in our world beyond us, the things that are going on in our little world among us or in our community. We're so preoccupied that we miss relationships, we miss Jesus, we miss good times together as a community. So what do we do? What do we do when we are preoccupied with the worries of the world or all these if-onlys in our lives and what-ifs? What do we do? Now, the great thing about God and how much he loves us, he's given us his word. And so here in this parable, I found something. I found a nugget that I needed to hold on to, and then God showed me, and, and just um, I'm still learning this. But in this parable that Jesus tells, um, it's sometimes referred to as the, the parable of the sower, which is not a good uh, title for that because it's not about the sower. The sower is the guy, uh, the girl, whoever's throwing the seeds down. It's not about that person. 
that, that the star certainly of the, the parable is the seed. It's the word of God. Because the word of God, as we learn, uh, it's fruitful in certain situations. Now, I think it's probably best to call this parable the parable of the two soils. Because there's really just two different soils. Even though there's sort of four examples, three of them are bad, one is good. And so this is really the parable of two soils, bad and good. Now, the thing about the good soil, when the God's word falls on good soil, is it's fruitful, 30, 60, 100 fold. And so as followers of Jesus, we want to know, I want to know, what does it mean to be fruitful? I mean, how, how do you define being fruitful? Uh, certainly on a very personal level, we have the fruit of the spirit that is to show up in our lives. Uh, my kids, I mean, one of the things I loved about having kids was being able to play all those, um, those kids' songs, the Bible stuff. And so I learned and memorized stuff by just listening to the songs. One of them, and I'll probably screw it up here, but it's the, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. See, I mean, I learned that from a kid's song, <laughs> even though it's in the Bible. But those are the things that we, the kind of fruit we want in our love, life. Love, joy. Man, who wants Peace. You know, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There's fruit that is supposed to show up in our lives in an amazing way. Now, um, certainly part of fruit is obedience. God's word makes that very clear. And what's amazing and I love about Jesus is he does make things, he, he makes things more difficult as he simplifies them. Jesus summarized all the commands of God this way. and We read about it in Matthew 22 because here's what I'm trying to answer for us. What does it mean to have fruit in your life? Okay? Here's one of the things. We should love God and love others. Jesus explains all the commandments in those two. And he says this in um, Matthew 22, verse 34 and following. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. It's from Deuteronomy 6. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. And he goes to an obscure passage in Leviticus 19. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So here we are. For there to be fruit in our lives. I mean, one way to generalize it is to say we'll love God more and we'll love others. We'll love God with every aspect of our being. And as we love God, the overflow will flow into others. And as we love others, we're loving God. It just starts a cycle. There should be fruit. Love, joy, and peace, and patience. All this kind of fruit should just show up in our lives in amazing ways. But here's the challenge. We are all too preoccupied. And in the very center of this parable, Jesus focuses, his, uh, he sort of laser focus on three preoccupations that we have. It's right in verse 18 and 19 of Mark 4. And others are the ones sown among thorns, Jesus said. They are those who hear the word, but listen to this. But the cares of the world, the cares of the world, uh, the message uh, translation says this, all that you have to do and all that you want to do. Hmm. The cares of the world, the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other, thing, other things. Enter in and choke the word and it makes it unfruitful, makes the word unfruitful. There are things, the reason Love, joy, peace, and patience, kindness. All that stuff is not showing up in your life. You're not loving God or loving others. 
the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desires for other things are showing up. And that is, I, I speak from experience. Every day, struggle with all of this. But do you see yourself in this parable? I, I, I see me. But do you see yourself? And so I will ask, what's your preoccupation? What's choking the fruit of God's word in your life? Are you wanting your way so bad that there is little or no fruit of the Spirit in your life? We will want our way, whatever the situation is, and we'll make ourselves God, we'll make ourselves king. We want our way. And we can do that in such a way that you choke out the fruit of the word in your life. And so let me ask you this. What's the thing that you would say that when it happens in your life, you say, when this thing finally happens, then I'll be happy. That, along with, uh, it it fits into the desire, uh, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things. That's what the Bible calls adultery, idolatry. When we start to say, when that thing finally happens, then I'll be happy. We set a date out in the future, and guess what we do when we do that? We just sort of plow through every day, because we want to think, oh, if when that thing finally happens. It's been well said that there are two tragedies in the world. Not getting what you want, and then getting what you want. Because we make things an idol, and so we say, well, when I finally get that thing, then I'll be happy. Jesus tells us, if the word lands on good soil, and we've got to go all the way back to sort of Ezekiel 36 for this, um, when God says, I took a stone of heart out of my people, and I replaced it with a heart of flesh, that's good soil because as the word lands on good uh, on the flesh, a fleshly heart that God has put there, then there's fruit that comes from it. And so Jesus tells us as the word lands on good soil, you will bear fruit. If you're a follower of Jesus, there will be fruit in your life. Obedience and love, joy, peace, all of that. It will show up in your life. You will love God with every ounce of your being and you will love others as yourself. You will put others first. So let me ask you, what are you preoccupied by other than Jesus? To transition to, uh, to this, um, I want to use an old African uh, proverb. Uh, it's um, not in the Bible. Uh, I got, I'm stealing this from uh, a person, a woman named Elizabeth Elliot. Some of you may know who she is. Uh, it was one of her newsletters, and she told this parable, this story. It was an, uh, an African parable or an African legend. It's not in the Bible. Did I tell you it was not in the Bible? It's not in the Bible. Uh, but it's about Jesus, but it's not in the Bible. So I'm just making it clear. It's not in the Bible. But it's a great story. It's called the, it's the Legend of the Stones. Here's how it goes. Jesus was walking one day with his disciples and asked each one to pick up a stone to carry for him. They all picked up a stone. Peter, a rather small stone. John, a bigger one. Jesus led them to the top of a mountain, and then he commanded the stones to be made bread. The disciples were by this time hungry, and so they were given permission to eat the bread in their hands. Of course, Peter didn't have very much. Right? He, took a, he had a small stone. But, but John shared with him some of the bread that had been made from the stone that he had carried. Now, on another occasion, the same Jesus took the same disciples for a walk and again asked them to pick up a stone to carry for him. 
This time you can imagine that Peter picked up a bigger stone. But Jesus did not take them this time to the top of the mountain. He took them to the river. As they stood on the bank, and I always, I always imagine that this is not part of the parable, but the river, right, is probably at the low point because that's where all the water runs to is in the valley, right? Mountaintops are always those mountaintop experiences, those good things, but life is mostly in the valley, right? And so this is where they are. So I probably just messed up the whole story. But here we go. Rewinding. <laughs> he took them to the river, and as they stood on the bank looking to Jesus, with questions in their minds, he said to them, throw the stones into the river, which they did at once in obedience to his command. Then they looked at him, expectantly waiting for the miracle that would happen this time. Nothing happened. They waited. They watched. Nothing happened. Jesus, with great compassion, looked on these disciples whom he loved and said, For whom did you carry the stone? Here's the question. When we are followers of Jesus, far too often we sort of follow him and we leverage Jesus. We sort of say he's he's the thing that's going to get me something. And I do this in my life. But what that really is, it's a preoccupation with ourselves. So when God gives us something, we carry it because we think it's going to do something for us. We get preoccupied with ourselves and we carry the stone. We live for our own success. We live for our own way. We live for our own notoriety. We live, for some, we live to accomplish some great dream that we have. And I can tell you, God was the, I had pages in my journal, you know, metaphorically, that I had to tear out a year ago. Um, and I've had to tear out others since and just say, God, what is it you're doing? I need to understand. And he says, just take one step at a time. But I mean, we have to tear out so much because we're living so much for ourselves. We're carrying the stone, we think, for Jesus, but it's for ourselves far too often. So are you so preoccupied, like myself, too often, and we fail to hear God's voice, to fail to sense his presence, to love him really well and deeply, Are you so preoccupied that you have not been loving others well? Man. Are you so preoccupied that you're holding a grudge? You're angry. You're angry at something or some group or some person. And you can't forgive them. When you're preoccupied, it means that you've rooted your hope and your identity in something other than Jesus. Right? We carry the stone for something we can accomplish rather than carrying it just for Jesus, whatever he calls us to. Now, in his parable, Jesus is nothing if not realistic. And here's part of the rub in here. Um, in this parable, there's a loud acknowledgement that the call of the kingdom, the call of Jesus will be frustrating at some times in our lives. A lot of the time it will be frustrating. There will be disappointments that we go through There will be times of being laid very low. Because in this world, and part of the parable was that Jesus had told us that Satan will come along and try to steal the word. So we have an enemy in the world that's Satan, so it makes it difficult. Um, As a result, there'll be persecution on some level uh, that we will, will see in our lives. There'll be tribulation and persecutions, Jesus tells us. And um, he also says the cares of the world will come against us. 
And listen, if you, if you at all ever hear the news, I mean, it's a 24-hour news cycle now, right? It just seems like the world has gotten worse and worse and worse. And so the cares of the world just become exponentially worse. And then it's uh, the, the, the deceitfulness of riches is still a challenge for us every day. Uh, the ads are constantly bombarding us, telling us what we need. Um, and it, it just gets worse and worse and worse. But here's the thing. That's the world that Jesus has told us to run into. He said, go into that world where Satan is, where there's deceitfulness of riches, where people are suffering, where it's difficult just to make it through the day. He says, run into that world because that's the world that you and I live in all the time. And it's a hard world, but it's the world we're to bring the love of Jesus into and the reign of the kingdom into. It's difficult. It's hard every day. It's a hard, hard world where our hopes and our plans get dashed. And that's why, in part, Jesus quotes from Isaiah 6 in the parable. All right? Now, I'm going to read kind of extensively here, so hang with me. This is from Isaiah 6, but it's important. Because if, you're, if you and I are going to live in a world where it's hard just to go through every day, and we're called to bear fruit, yet the riches and the kinds of things that we want just keep bombarding us and make the word unfruitful, what do we do? How do we understand this crazy world we live in? Isaiah 6 is helpful, starting in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And the temple is his creation. It's everything. The glory of God fills everything. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face, and with two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. And one called to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook as the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And see what's going on here. Isaiah is being convicted of what a mess he is, what a sinner he is. He says, I live in a sinful world. We all live there. We contribute to the sin of the world. And he's being convicted because of the glory of God. He sees his sin. Then one of the seraphim flew to him, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken uh, with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. This is a picture of God taking a heart of stone and putting a heart of flesh so that you see your sin, you call upon God for mercy and grace, and he delivers. He delivers the forgiveness of sin. So this is good soil. And so we're about to see some fruit here. Here's what happens next. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and say to this people. Now, this is the part where we get the quote from uh, Jesus includes in the parable. And what you're going to see is it's a hard world that we are sent back into. It's a hard world where things don't go the way you want them to. And people don't hear what you say to them. And there's difficult relationships are hard. And you're constantly butting heads with people. Um, It's a difficult, uh, it's just difficult. Here it is. Say to the people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. 
And then I said, this is Isaiah, and this is what I say too, how long? How long, O Lord? Now, understanding the context of Isaiah here, uh, this is a prophecy about how all of Israel was going to be taken off into exile, and God was going to just take his hand and scrape off all of Israel, just sort of knock it into rubble. Um, And that's how God works. He'll tear down something to build something up, and that's what he does. And so that's what he's doing here. And he said, Until, how long, O Lord? This was his answer. Until cities lie waste without inhabitant, and houses without people, and land is a desolate waste, and the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And then verse 13. And though a tenth remain in it, just a small portion of people, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak, like trees, whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. And so we just have this picture of God tearing everything down. All that's left is a stump. So if this was a movie, it would sort of fade out. and We'd wonder, well, what's going to happen to this stump? We'll talk about that in a second. But did you notice that it's almost as if when we're reading this long passage out of Isaiah, God got to the point where he says uh, to all humanity, it's, it's, um, it's right after he takes the coal and puts it on Isaiah's lips, and he says to all humanity, he says, I need someone. I need, I need a people. I need a people that knows, who know what it means to be forgiven. Is there anybody out there that understands grace is what God is saying? Do you, do you sort of see God would saying that, do you understand forgiveness? Do you understand what it means that you're a mess, yet I cleansed you and I died for you? Is there there anybody out there that understands that? God is saying, in a sense, are there any takers? And then who do we see that speaks up? It's Isaiah. And he says, send me. Now, all this I'm going to tie together. That's who we are. We're forgiven sent ones. Because God forgives us. And he doesn't take us out of the world. He just doesn't just say, now now you don't have to deal with any of the gunk and the crud anymore. He takes us and says, now go back out there. You're forgiven. You you understand grace. You you get it. You, You understand what you've been forgiven. And so you've been set free now to go love well. Go love well. Go go and be in other people's lives because you now have nothing to prove. You have nothing to protect. And guess what? You have nothing to lose. Now go run into the world. And so here we are on a daily basis, and this would be certainly the application. I'm going to give you three points, and we're almost done here. Here's the application of how we must fight to deal with all that would preoccupy our hearts as we go back into a harsh world. Because as we run back into it, it won't be long before the deceitfulness of riches, the desires for other things, the cares of the world will start to come in and crowd out our hearts. It doesn't take long. Um, and so we start to demand things, and we expect things, and we start to, have, start to carry the stone for Jesus. Now we're carrying it for ourselves. So how do we fight these preoccupations? And I want to do, tell you it's just three things we need to remember. We need to, you know, remembering is sort of like we just think we have a cup of coffee and we remember. You have to fight to remember these things. This is where you go and fight every day to remember these things. First thing you want to remember is your identity. We learn that you're a forgiven, sent one. That's who we are. 
That's what binds us all together. We're forgiven by Jesus. We have the same Holy Spirit indwelling us, the same Savior, the same Father. We're forgiven, sent ones. And we're pushed out back into a harsh, crappy world where it's hard every day. That's where God sends us back into it. We're forgiven, sent ones. And when we engage with other people, whether they're good soil or bad soil, whose business is that? It's God's. Your business is to love them. People are not projects. This church is not in this neighborhood to fix people. The kingdom of God is powerful, and there will be fruit in this community. As you genuinely love people, that's the hardest thing to even have come out of my mouth even say, because in my neighborhood, I'm called to do the same thing, to love people. Good soil or bad soil? None of your business. Who makes good soil? God does. Your call is to love people, love them well, to love God, because then people aren't projects. You can just love them. It's a miracle that anybody ever chooses Jesus, is it not? And he desires to use us to love well, to go and say things to a people with hard hearts and to love them. That's what you've been set free to do. You're a forgiven, sent one. It should free you up now. People aren't projects. You don't have a quota to meet. Go love them. Love them well. That's your identity. You're a forgiven, sent one. Second thing to remember, that you really only have one fear. Because, you know, we look at the cares of the world. I mean, golly, I mean, who knows what's going to happen next, right? You know, we're trying to fix some, some part of the world over there, and we don't know if they're going to come attack us over here, and we don't, you know, political stuff, and it just gets crazy after a while. And we can really, you know, get worried. And there's really only one worry, only one fear. And I learned this from a commentator. I was, uh, was commenting on um, commentators or people who write about books of the Bible. And, and I was reading one commentary on Isaiah. And this is what Ray Ortland said. He said, um, your biggest fear is this, that you would have a hard heart. Your biggest fear is that your heart would become so hardened that um, you would become rigid. You know, with churches, we love to set up fences. You know, to get into our little group, you must do this. <laughs> you know, rather than digging a well in the center where Jesus is and saying this is where you have water and where water is, people won't stray from it. But we get very rigid. We get hard. We get ungrateful. The, the truth of grace sort of becomes this faint echo, and now we start to think that, you know, I have to be the one to fix everything and everybody, and so we set up everything as black and white. And, and it becomes a difficult, hard place. And we become hard. We become ungrateful. Uh, your biggest fear is that you would have a hardened heart, that you would become demanding uh, of others, such to the degree that you wouldn't forgive somebody. You know, that somehow they owe me something. And guess what? You're like the unfaithful servant who's been forgiven an amazing debt, yet you go out and shake other servants down for five bucks. A hard heart is the thing that we must fight against because we get hard hearts um, and we get angry at the world, we get angry at people. And then we don't forgive and then there's no fruit. Remember your identity. Remember your only real fear is, that, is a hard heart. But here's the third and final thing. Remember your hope. You're, we, um, we tend to hope in everything other than Jesus. And when you look at the very last verse in Isaiah 6, uh, verse 13, um, 
where it says that um, God has essentially cleared the land for new growth. It says this. Um, it says that there was a, uh, all that was left was a stump. And that's the holy seed. The holy seed is in is its stump. Okay, so there's this picture that something is going to happen out of desolation. Uh, my son called me up. He lives out of town, and uh, one of my one of my sons, and he said, "Dad, I know what you and mom are going through is tough." And it's kind of interesting when you lose your job and you're almost 50, and you have kids, and they're watching, and and um, you know they get scared and they're wondering, well, what's going to happen? And um, but it's really cool when one of your kids calls up to cheer you up. And he called me up from out of town, and he said, Dad, hey, there's this um, construction going on uh, where I live, and um, they had to tear down a hotel and tear down some stuff, and they're putting some stuff back. And he said, I learned something, and I want you and Mom to know this. He said, Dad, um, he said, sometimes God has to tear down to build up. So awesome to, to think about that and, and to remember that God's in control. And to not hope in anything other than him. He can build up. He can tear down whatever he wants to do. Whatever, if he wants to give me, turn a rock into bread one time, and then for me to carry a rock and then just to throw it in the river, and I don't know what in the world's going on, then that's God's business. Because he's my only hope. It's not in the rock or in the bread or anything. It's in Jesus only. And see, the, the constant message of Scripture is that our true problem is that we are all preoccupied. We're preoccupied in our identity, fixing other people, getting everything right, just getting everything just right all the time, all the time, uh, building our identity on something other than Jesus. And God will, for, for the sake of His glory and for our good, He will lay us low. He will lay us low. To te- he will tear down something to clear land for there to be a shoot to come up from a stump. Now, five chapters later in Isaiah 11, five chapters from chapter 6, this is what's said. There will come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. This is essentially saying from the kingdom, uh, from the lineage of David. Jesse was David's father. From, from uh, a lineage will come a shoot. From our past will come this shoot. And we know, and just to sort of tell you, this is talking about Jesus. Now that you know that, listen. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, the line of David. This is David's grandfamily, okay? Uh, Jesus' grandfamily. And a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. There will be fruit And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see, praise God, or decide disputes by his uh, his ears, what his ears hear. But with righteousness, he shall judge the poor, the poor in spirit, people who know what a mess. That's us. He will judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Praise God. And then it goes on to describe how you know, differences will come together. Everything will be uh, backed into a good state one day. And, there shall not, uh, and they shall not hurt or destroy in all his, uh, his holy mountain. 
For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now here I am closing right now. Okay, I'm almost done. I'm like two minutes away from being done here. So hang with me. Our preoccupations with anything other than Jesus in your life, in my life, will be dealt with. God will see to it that all of your preoccupations are scraped off the earth. He wants you to be preoccupied with Him and what is preoccupying His mind all the time. See, He will humble us, but He won't consume us. Lamentations makes that clear. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. His compassions are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, right? We know that to be true. So He'll lay you low, but He won't crush you. He wants to take all of those things in your life that are preoccupying your heart and scrape them off and so that you can see Jesus. We see Jesus through the eye of need. That's how you came to Jesus. That's how you stay in Jesus. You constantly see your need for Him. Right? It's always a challenge. When you have churches that don't see their need for Jesus, they can become hard churches. Because when you don't see your need for Jesus... You've gotten where you are because of your effort or you've gotten here because, you know, of your talents and all that sort of stuff. And when you have churches that don't see their need for Jesus, you can hardly get in the door to be part of them. But when people are in such a place where he keeps keeps his low, you know, never further from the cross or higher than his feet. You become welcoming because, you know, what a mess you are. You know what a mess our hearts are. And you know how much you've been forgiven. And so we now just love people because they're images of God. Not that they're projects. And so it becomes welcoming because we constantly are seeing our need for Jesus. But what we find when things have been laid waste in your life, it's that stump that's there. But what's the shoot that's supposed to come up? It's Jesus. Jesus um, is the shoot that shoots up from the stump of Jesse. When things are scraped out of your life, you've torn things out of your journal and your books and dreams, and you just tear them out, what you're supposed to replace it with is Jesus. He's your only hope. God lays his low so that we see Jesus more clearly. Through, the, through our eye of need. And Jesus emerges in the people who love Him. They love Him not for what He can bring them because He's already brought them everything we need. We have His righteousness. We have His forgiveness. We have nothing to prove to Jesus or to anyone else. We have nothing to protect. It's all been given away because we've been given it all. We have um, nothing to lose now. And so... We can trust him completely. We're forgiven, sent ones. And so together, as forgiven, sent ones, we bring the love and the knowledge of Jesus into the world, a broken and harsh world. And the kingdom of Jesus will now cover the earth like the waters cover the earth. When God brings you low, it's because he wants you to have Jesus and nothing else. He wants you to build your life in this church, in this community, on your preoccupation with Jesus and his gospel and nothing else. Period. Not getting our theology right. Not looking like anybody else. Just Jesus. That's it. That's your call. 
That's your preoccupation. That's my call and my preoccupation to love God and, to, and in the overflow of loving God to love others. In the overflow of loving others, you're loving God. Because we're forgiven, sent ones. Our identity is in Him. Your only fear is a hard heart. Your only hope is Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Father, uh, Your Word, let it um, bear fruit. Father, let us root out the idols in our hearts. Let us uh, uh, fight to not have hard hearts, uh, to become calloused and ungrateful and to, to be rigid. But Father, let us, in the freedom of Jesus, to go love others well, to speak the truth in love, to, uh, to, to, to with reckless abandon, give everything away, our time, our talents, everything. Father, teach us to live like that. Don't let the cares of the world, the desires for other things, the deceitfulness of riches choke out the fruitfulness of your word. Let there be 30, 60, and 100-fold fruit in, in, in this community, in this church, and in our hearts, Lord. Uh, let us see the love of Jesus reigning in this world through us as we live as forgiven sent ones. In Christ's name, amen.